Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. We are continuing our study through Galatians this morning titled Faith, Freedom, and Family. Last Sunday, we focused our attention on Paul's greeting, which was grace and peace. Grace is the undeserved, unearned favor of God lavished on us in Christ Jesus. We were once dead in our sins and transgressions. We were separated from God because of our sin against God, and we had no help or hope or any way of getting rid of our sin and getting to God on our own. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus gave himself on the cross to rescue us from our sins. The good news of the gospel is we are able to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God by God's grace at work in our lives through our response of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Once we receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. We are no longer at war with God due to our sin against God. We are no longer enemies of God due to our sin against God. We are children of God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Once we receive God's grace to us by faith in Jesus, we are also filled with the peace of God. Peace is the sense of calm and well-being that we have deep inside of us because we know everything is right between us and God by faith in Christ Jesus. God's peace helps us to live by faith, not by fear. God's peace helps us to stay calm in the midst of our chaos. God's peace helps us to see God at work in us and through us and around us uh, in the midst of all of our different circumstances. God's grace and peace helps us to come to know Jesus. God's grace and peace helps us to live for Jesus. God's grace and peace helps us to grow in our faith in Jesus. Grace and peace are gifts to God from us and for us and to us in Christ Jesus. And so we can be rejoicing and we can give glory to God for all of his many blessings in our lives. To God be the glory for his grace and peace in Christ Jesus. To God be the glory for his forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. To God be the glory for the great things he has done. To God be the glory for the great things he is doing. To God be the glory for the great things he is yet to do. As Paul said in verse 5, to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is worthy of all of our honor, glory, and praise. Paul used the first five verses in chapter one to greet the believers in the churches in Galatea. Paul also used the first five verses in chapter one to rebuke the false teachers and their false teaching. The false teachers claimed that Paul was not a true apostle of God. Paul countered the false teachers in the first verse as he declared he was an apostle called and chosen by God, not man. The false teachers uh, proclaimed and taught a message of salvation by works. Paul countered the false teachers in the second and third verses of chapter one as he declared salvation is by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Paul declared that Jesus gave himself to rescue us from our sins. The false teachers also claimed because of their salvation by works message that they therefore would get the glory for all of their good works. 
Paul countered the false teachers in the fourth and fifth verses by sharing and declaring, since salvation is by God's grace, then God gets all the glory. Paul, as we will see, as we continue to study through Galatians, Paul continued to rebuke and correct the false teachers and their false teaching. As always, Paul practiced what he preached. As Paul shared in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, if you're taking notes, then I encourage you to jot that passage down. If you want to turn real quick to your right, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. We'll be back to Galatians chapter 1 here in just a moment. Paul said these words to Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Paul rebuked, corrected, and encouraged these believers with great patience and teaching in the greeting and all throughout his letter of Galatians. And so we know Paul knew that God's truth, the truth of God's word, was what was best for these believers. We know the truth of God's word is what is best for us today. One of the many reasons it's so exciting for us to study God's word is because God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit in us through the truth of his word, through the teaching of his word, through the study of his word, through the preaching of his word. God is speaking to us even now. He is with us. He is speaking to us now. He's going to use this word and every one of our lives to grow us more into the likeness of Jesus this morning. And so it's with excitement that we can look into this passage. We can jump in and study this word together as we collectively listen to the Holy Spirit of God speak to us this morning. So let's look in verse 6. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul wrote these words, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. As I've shared the past couple of weeks, Paul's greeting to these believers in Galatea was similar to his greetings in most of his other writings. I also shared over the past couple of weeks that Paul's greeting here in Galatians is also different from his greetings in most of his other writings in the New Testament. And we see the difference here in HD quality starting with verse 6. In most of his writings, Paul followed his initial greeting of grace and peace with thanks to God and prayers to God for the believers in the church or churches he was addressing in his particular letter. For example, in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul wrote these words, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul thanked God in his prayers to God for the believers in Philippi. If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, or 2 Timothy, rather, uh, chapter 1, in verse 3, Paul said, I thank God 
whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So again, Paul thanked God in his prayers to God for Timothy. Paul would also, in most of his writings, after his greeting of grace and peace, after his thanks and prayer to the believers he was addressing, he would also generally share a word of encouragement about their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. We read this in 1 Thessalonians. One example is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verses 2 and 3, Paul wrote these words, We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. There's the thanks and prayers. If you look in verse 1, it says grace to you and peace. So there's the grace and peace, there's the thanks and prayers. But then in verse 3, he said, We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul thanked God for the believers in Thessalonica, and then Paul commended these believers for their faith in Jesus and their work for Jesus and their hope in Jesus. Paul did not follow his typical pattern in Galatians. Again, Paul did not follow his typical pattern in Galatians. There are no commendations, no prayers, no thanks, no words of encouragement here in Galatians. Paul immediately opened this letter with a rebuke of the believers in the churches in Galatea. So let's look at this verse 6 and let's begin to take it apart piece by piece. Paul wrote, I am amazed. Now, I am amazed can be a statement that can either be taken positively or negatively depending on the context of the passage. For example, I am amazed would be used in a positive sense if I stated, I am amazed at how so many of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, so many of you are church family members, have ministered to one another, have encouraged one another, have helped one another this past week. Like our church building, so many of you also had struggles and challenges and faced difficulties due to the snowstorms. Some had suffered significant damage to your home. And so we know that God has used our church family members to minister, to rally, to bless, to help, to serve, to love one another in Christ Jesus. And I am amazed once again at how you, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, have been the hands and feet of Jesus to one another this past week. That is a true statement. And that would also be a statement where I am amazed is used in a positive sense. Paul used this phrase, I am amazed, in a negative way in this passage. I am amazed literally means I'm shocked, I'm stunned, I'm surprised, I'm astonished. What Paul is saying here is this, I cannot believe what I'm hearing about you guys. I am stunned by what I am hearing about you guys. And he says, I am amazed, and here we go, that you are so quickly turning away. That you are so quickly turning away. Turning away means changing sides. It means defecting. It means deserting. It means transferring allegiance from one to another. There is a term 
used in sports lingo today, uh, and it's generally used in a negative way. It generally carries a very negative connotation, and the term is bandwagon fans. A bandwagon fan is someone who cheers only for the team that is currently winning. A bandwagon fan will shift their support from one team to whatever team is currently doing the best. Bandwagon fans show no loyalty to one team in particular. Most folks who uh, are interested in sports consider bandwagon fans uh, to be uh, bad fans, to really not be true, genuine, good, solid fans at all. What Paul is saying here is, is he's amazed that some of these believers are, are like bandwagon fans. They are so quickly, Paul was saying, I am amazed, I'm stunned, I'm astonished that you are so quickly changing sides, that you are so quickly deserting, that you are so quickly uh, transferring your allegiance from what I taught you, the truth of God's word, to what these false teachers are teaching you. Paul was amazed at how easily and quickly the false teachers were making inroads into the hearts and minds and lives of the believers in the churches in Galatea. Paul and Barnabas had only been away from these believers for a maximum of one to two years, and yet they were changing sides already. A quick note that you are so quickly turning away. Turning away is in the present tense. And so what that literally means is these believers were in the process of changing sides. They were in the process of defecting. They were in the process of deserting Paul and the truth of God's word that Paul taught, and they were transferring their allegiance to the false teaching of the false teachers. They had not yet totally and completely defected away from God. Therefore, Paul was hopeful that God would use his words of rebuke in this letter to help turn the believers in these churches back to God and his truth. Paul was also encouraged because Paul knew the Holy Spirit of God lived in these believers and he knew the Holy Spirit of God was at work in these believers, drawing them back to God and his truth. A couple quick points of explanation as to what's going on here in this passage. Number one, one point of explanation as to why these believers were changing sides so quickly and easy is because these believers were young in their faith. The believers, as we shared last Sunday, the believers in the church and churches in Galatea were very young in their faith. They were new to their walk with the Lord. They, they were susceptible to the false teaching of the false teachers because of their spiritual immaturity. They were growing in their faith in God. They were growing in their obedience to God. They were growing in their love for God. They were growing in their love for one another. They were learning what it meant to be the church, Jews and Gentiles together in Christ Jesus. And so they were very young. They were at the beginning stages of their faith and growth in Christ Jesus. Now, they were growing in their faith, but they were not yet mature believers in Christ Jesus. It's important as well, and we're going to notice this here in just a little bit, it's important, too, to note Paul did not absolve these believers, though they were young in their faith, from all of their responsibility. Paul rebuked them because these believers, though young in the faith, knew because Paul had taught them and Paul had warned them that they were not to listen to the false teachers and their false teaching. 
They knew better than to listen to the false teachers. They knew better than to give an audience to the false teachers. They knew that if they were to listen to the false teachers, if they were given an audience to the false teachers, then over a period of time, their false teaching could begin to sound right. And so we know that Paul rebuked them because he held them accountable to some of the basics that he had taught them about the truth of God's word, and certainly how they were to live as followers of Jesus Christ. This is similar to the way we need to treat temptation. If we continue to get up to the line as close as we can to temptation without actually giving into it, the more we get as close to the line of temptation as we can, the closer and the easier it is for us to step over the line and give in to the temptation. And so Paul understood they were young in their faith, But Paul held them accountable because they knew they shouldn't be listening to these false teachers. Second point of explanation is the false teachers were good. Uh, The false teachers were good uh, at distorting the truth of God's word. The false teachers were good at deception. The false teachers were good at troubling these believers, at distorting uh, the truth of God's word. The false teachers knew as well uh, that Paul and Barnabas were gone that they had already left. They went back home to Antioch. So they knew they had plenty of open space. They knew they had plenty of time uh, to continue to press in on the believers in these churches and to uh, begin to lead them away from God and his truth so that they would follow them uh, instead of the Lord. Like Paul, uh, many pastors and Bible teachers would share with you throughout the years and even today, and, and I myself can also say, there are times when we, like Paul, are amazed at what our enemy will use to lead God's people away from God, the truth of his word, and one another, their brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I am amazed at times at what our enemy will use, false teachers or not, at what he will use, at who he will use to lead God's people away from God and the truth of his word and from one another. Most of the time, he uses petty things such as misunderstandings or petty jealousies or hurt feelings. Somebody will say something or do something and, and someone takes it personally but doesn't share with them that that hurt them and then a wall begins to develop between the two folks. Many times the communication then will break down and separation will happen. Many times it's just simply pride or some other sin involved in a Christ follower's life and they allow that sin to take residence in their life and that sin begins to separate them from God and the truth of his word and from one another. We see this happen throughout the scriptures and we see this happen in our lives today and folks who were otherwise growing in their faith in Christ Jesus otherwise knew about their uh, about how to live for the Lord have pulled away from God pulled away from the word pulled away from one another because of the work of the enemy in their lives and his lies that has pulled them away from the truth and we know that God's word teaches us and shares with us how we need to live in such a way that we stay connected with God and his word and with one another's brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I want to make sure we understand in this example here in chapter one, this was not some petty misunderstanding. This was not some jealousy, uh, some, some conflict like we saw in the, uh, in the believers in the church in Philippi, where Yodi and Sundike were in a battle with one another and it was dividing the church. No, this was serious. Paul was treating this 
with all seriousness. Why? Because this was a situation, this was an attack from Satan through these false teachers on the very core of the gospel. The very gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. The very issues of salvation. How a person enters a relationship with God and then lives for God. And so Paul met this issue head on. He had to meet it head on. And he had to get after it right away as he does here with verse 6. Immediately getting after it and rebuking these believers in these churches. And so let's continue. Uh, As Paul wrote, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away. And then he continues, from him who called you by the grace of Christ. From him, that's God, who called you by the grace of Christ to salvation. Who called you here uh, is a verb in the aorist tense, which means it is an event in the past that has continuing effects into the present. So what Paul was saying is, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from God who called you to salvation in Christ Jesus. He's referring to their salvation. Paul taught these believers the truth of God's word during his first missionary journey. And these believers in the towns in Southern Galatea, they responded to the Holy Spirit of God's work in their lives by God's grace through their faith and trust and the response of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. He's saying you guys are true, genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Saying, I know you are followers of Jesus Christ. I know God saved you by his grace through your response of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Paul once again here affirms salvation by God's grace, not by works. And so he's moving closer and closer into his message for these believers. I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. A different gospel Uh, literally means another kind of gospel, an alternative gospel, an opposition gospel, a false gospel. A different gospel that Paul's referring to here is a gospel that is different from the message that salvation is by God's grace at work in our lives through our response of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. A different gospel is any gospel that says anything different than salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved in the name of Jesus. A different gospel is a gospel different than what Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. A different gospel is a gospel different than that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you are saved. A different gospel is any gospel other than what we see here in the truth of God's word. That's what Paul was saying. Paul literally used the word gospel here. And he said, are turning to a different gospel. Gospel literally means good news. It means good news from God. So what Paul is literally saying here is this. I am amazed that you guys are turning away from the good news of God to the bad news of of the false teachers, and when you turn away from good news to bad news, that's a huge mistake. Now, Paul also addressed this later in Galatians 3. If you turn just to one page, possibly, maybe it's right there on the page you're currently on. Galatians 3, verse 3, Paul said this, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Paul here at the beginning is going to continue this theme. And as he says, he says, I'm amazed. You guys started off well. 
You started off your relationship with God well. You responded to the Holy Spirit of God at work in your lives as we ministered to you on our first missionary journey, and you received God's gift of grace by faith and trust in Christ Jesus. You started off well by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he said, you are turning away from this You are turning away from the good news of God's grace, and you are turning to a different gospel, a false gospel. You are turning to a gospel of salvation by works, not by a response of faith to God's grace through the work of his Holy Spirit. You are completely turning away from what you received by the Holy Spirit of God to now a works-based righteousness. There has always been And there will always be different false gospels designed by Satan to turn God's people away from God, his word, and from one another. Different false gospels to keep people from coming to faith in God and growing in the relationship with God through the truth of his word. There has always been and there will always be false teachers as well. We see this here. We see this today. Among the false teachers that Paul was challenging in these words, among the false teachers who were troubling these believers were the Judaizers. The Judaizers were Jews who claimed to be Christians And they taught salvation by faith in Jesus plus works. The Judaizers taught, they believed that a Gentile convert had to become a Jew. They had to become a Jewish proselyte in order to be a child of God. They had to become like a Jew. They had to live like a Jew in order to be considered a child of God. The Judaizers taught circumcision was a requirement as well as obedience to the Old Testament law as well as faith in Jesus in order to become a child of God. The Judaizers were legalists. They mixed grace and works in their theology and their view of salvation. And what they did was they led people back into bondage to the Old Testament law. Listen, anytime you have a belief in salvation by works, it leads to bondage. Anytime you have a wrong, incorrect understanding of salvation, and you believe salvation is by works, or that works are involved in the salvific process, then you're going to continually stay in bondage because you are constantly, therefore, having to wonder, how many good works have I done today? Am I doing enough good works? Am I doing the good works that God wants me to do? Were there good works that I missed to do? What if I do bad works? Well, how many good works do I have to do to overcome a bad work? Well, if I do multiple bad works, then how many more good works do I have to do in order to overcome those bad works? And that's going to set me back from the good works that I need to do because I got to do enough good works to get my way to God. And it just continues to lead into a cycle of bondage. Because we cannot work or earn or merit a relationship with God by good works. It's impossible. It cannot happen. You see, the Judaizers and these other false teachers missed the fact that Jesus said, I am the fulfillment 
of Old Testament law. They missed the fact that Jesus offered the once and for all sacrifice for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones to bring us to God. They missed the fact that God's grace is a free gift to us that opens forgiveness and a relationship with God for us. What Paul is saying is anytime anything is taken away from the gospel of grace, Anytime anything is added to the gospel of grace, such as works, the gospel of grace ceases to be the gospel of grace. Whether that work is circumcision, obedience to Old Testament law, baptism, church membership, obeying the Ten Commandments, giving a lot of money, being a good person, doing a lot of good works, any of these good works or other good works or a combination of good works or all these good works together are insufficient for salvation. Salvation by works is opposed to the gospel of grace. Salvation by works is a different false gospel. That's what Paul is teaching here. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. Paul said this, I do not I do not say that out loud in your home. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, if righteousness comes through works, through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul's greatest argument is simply this. If there is another way for us to enter a relationship with God other than through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary, then the cross is the cruelest, meanest, most vile joke ever perpetrated on anyone. If there is any other way for us to enter a relationship with God other than through Christ Jesus, then God cannot be a God of love. Because how would you explain then the sacrifice of Christ Jesus? You see, what Paul was saying is simply this. Good works are a result of our salvation. Good works are not a requirement for our salvation. As Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Salvation, sanctification, God's grace, and then works as the outflow of God's grace and God's change and God's salvation in our lives. Not the requirement for a relationship with God. And so we see Paul's heart is just pouring out. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, a false gospel. It's not true at all. Then he continues in verse 7. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul here says... There is not another gospel other than the gospel of the grace of Christ. There's no other gospel than God's gospel of grace. Paul told Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Paul said there's one God, there's one gospel, and there's one Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying if you're listening to another different gospel, it's not even a gospel at all. It's false. It's not true. It's a waste of your time. And then he says this, he said, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
He's saying you are listening to these false teachers. You're listening to these Judaizers and they are troubling and disturbing you. He's saying my brothers and sisters in Galatea, these false teachers, they're troubling you. They're disturbing you. Why? Because they want, they want, underline want there, they want to distort, they want to corrupt, they want to change the gospel of Christ. These false teachers were intentionally distorting the truth of God's word. They were intentionally leading these people away by their false teaching. And Paul continued in verse 8 and 9. And he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Paul reminds them of their faith in Christ Jesus. He said, if anyone, he or an angel or anyone preaches a gospel different than what he preached to them and they receive, that means they receive by faith, a curse be on him. Paul here uses hyperbole. He uses exaggeration to make his point. And his point was this, neither he nor an angel would ever think of preaching and teaching a gospel contrary to the grace of Christ. This was clearly a rebuke of the false teachers and the Judaizers. He's saying anyone who is doing what they are doing, anyone who preaches or teaches a false gospel should be accursed. Now, that's strong language. That is strong language. Anyone who preaches and teaches a false gospel, a curse be on him, Paul said. That word curse there in the original language is anathema. It means this. That person is to be given over to God for his use, whether good or bad, that's for God to determine. So what Paul was saying here is if any false teacher teaches or preaches a gospel different from the gospel of grace of Christ, which I preach to you, which you receive by faith and trust in Christ Jesus, then they should be turned over to God to suffer the wrath, the judgment, the punishment, the righteous justice of Almighty God because God sees the heart, God knows the heart, and God deals justly with the heart. Paul was sharing with these believers what we know today. We don't change God's grace. God's grace changes us. We don't change the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace changes us. Grace changes us. Grace from our almighty and loving God is what changes you and me in Christ Jesus. So what's our application today and for this week? What does God want us to do with this truth? Let me just give you a few points of application. Many that we can focus in on. Let me just give you a few this morning. Number one, be a student of God's word. Be a student of God's word. Paul told us that we are to hold on to the sound teaching from God's word. That we're to allow the word of Christ to dwell among us richly. James told us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The psalmist said, the way we are able to keep our way pure is by living according to God's word. We're to hide this word in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. The point is this, we need to read, study, and obey God's word day by day. We need to fill our minds with the truth of God's word. We need to fill our minds with God's word 
because the mind is the battlefield where spiritual warfare is fought. We need to fill our minds with the truth of God's word so that we can think the ways God wants us to think and feel the ways God wants us to feel and say and do the things God wants us to say and do. We need to fill our minds with the truth of God's word so that we can see God at work in us and follow him by faith in obedience to his commands. And we need to fill our minds with the truth of God's word because false teachers are still around today. And the more we know and fill our minds and study and obey the truth of God's word, the better we will be at recognizing and resisting false teachers and false teaching. That's the clear and wonderful and best way for you and me to be able to recognize that which is false by being so familiar with that which is true. It's one of the many reasons why it's so important to be involved in a church family like our church family, a church family that is a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church that preaches the whole counsel of God's Word, which we do here in a week-in and week-out basis. It's so vitally important because the more we know this Word, the better we will be at living out this Word, and the better we will be at recognizing that which is false. This is an encouragement It's an encouraging word to pastors and Bible teachers today. Preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. This is a word of encouragement to pastors, preachers, teachers of God's word today. This is also a warning to pastors and Bible teachers today. And the warning is simply this. If God's people can be led away from God's truth under the preaching and teaching of the apostle Paul, then God's people can be led away from God's truth under our preaching and teaching today. And so we need to preach the word. Second point of application, we need to be a student of God's word. Second point of application is embrace grace. Embrace grace. We have been saved by God's grace through our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. We do not deserve a relationship with God. We cannot earn a relationship with God. We receive a relationship with God by his grace at work in our lives, by the power of his Holy Spirit in us through our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Ken Witten, a prominent pastor today, said this, you don't spell salvation D-O, you spell salvation D-O-N-E. That's because it's the finished work of Christ on the cross that provides salvation. Not his work on the cross plus baptism or plus good works. It's based only on what Christ did. We need to embrace God's grace. God's grace is called amazing. God's grace is so amazing that at points in time, it's hard for us as Christ followers to embrace his grace. There are times where we simply begin to think and we will begin to kind of be led away and thinking, man, this grace that God's given to me is so great, then certainly I must have something to do with making sure I maintain the grace. And and this may mean I I need to make sure I'm doing all these good works so God will want me on his team and God will be proud of me. And at times we can slip into a a bondage almost to to doing good works because we mistakenly think that somehow, some way, our works are a part uh, of securing our salvation or, or a part of securing God's love for us. And what God wants us to understand is he's sharing with Paul, uh, through Paul, with these believers is we just simply need to embrace his grace. Embracing God's grace means understanding that our significance is in Jesus, not in ourselves, not in our knowledge, and not in our works. 
Our significance is in Jesus. Our relationship with God is based on Jesus, not on our performance for Jesus. Our relationship with God is based on what Jesus has done, not on what we can do. And so we just need to, once again, embrace grace. You see, when we embrace grace, it helps us to then understand and realize we are able to obey God because of our love for God and our passion for God out of the overflow of the grace of God at work in our lives, not to obey God in order to earn a relationship with God or win the approval of God. No, you see, God has freed us in Jesus to live our lives for Jesus. And so we need to be a student of God's word. We need to embrace his grace. And then the third point of application is to rejoice in the Lord. As followers of Jesus, we need to take time each day to rejoice in the Lord. Take time to rejoice in the grace of God to us in Jesus. We can rejoice in the peace of God for us in Jesus. We can rejoice in the forgiveness of God in, uh, for us in Jesus. We can rejoice in the salvation uh, by God of us in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice in God's spirit in us. We can rejoice in God's word before us. We can rejoice in God's people around us. We can rejoice in the blessings of God. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice in the mercies of God. They're new for us every morning. Morning. We can rejoice in the faithfulness of God. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord God Almighty for you and for me in Christ Jesus. We can declare each day throughout today to God be the glory in our good times, to God be the glory in our bad times, to God be the glory on our mountaintop times in life, to God be the glory in the times we're in the valleys of life, to God be the glory at every point, space, and place in between, to God be the glory in our times of rejoicing, to God be the glory in our times of suffering, to God be the glory in our times of testing, to God be, our glo be the glory in our times of trials, to God be the glory in our times of waiting, to God be the glory in our times of plenty, to God be the glory in our times of need. To God be the glory for the great things he has done, he is doing, he's yet to do. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. What a holy God we serve. What a loving God we serve. What a gracious God we serve. What a righteous God we serve. What a wise God we serve. What a present God we serve. What a powerful God we serve. Grace, grace, God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in our weakness. Therefore, we can boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses because at that very moment, Christ's power rests on us. Paul's pouring out his love for these believers. Holy Spirit of God at work through Paul. Holy Spirit of God at work in our lives today so that we might understand and so that we might embrace and follow the gospel of the grace of Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. My brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, let me encourage you in these moments to spend time in prayer, rejoicing in the Lord. Maybe you need to spend time in prayer just embracing grace once again. Maybe it's been a while that you've embraced the, the grace of God that he has for you. Maybe you just want to spend just a, a few moments in prayer, just thanking the Lord for his grace. Maybe God is encouraging you to, to dive deeper again into his word, to become a student again of his word, 
so that you might be able to, to recognize and resist any false teaching or any attempts by the enemy to, to isolate you from God, his word, or your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And let me encourage you as well, my friend, if you've not yet received God's gift of grace by your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, then why not today, why not right here, why not now? As you've heard the gospel explained, we are able to enter into a relationship with God by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. God's grace is at work in your life right now. And God wants you to understand and know that, that he loves you and he desires a relationship with you. You see, we're all sinners and we've all turned and gone our own way. We've all turned away from God. We've all done our own thing. We've said, thought, and done things that are wrong and, and unpleasing to God and against God's word. There's none of us righteous, no, not one. And, and yet God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our sins. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. He died a death on the cross of Calvary. He was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose again victorious over sin and death for you and for me. He's alive today. And he wants a relationship with us. And that relationship happens as, as you simply just cry out to the Lord and ask God to forgive you your sins. Confess your sin to him and tell God you're done living your way. You want to live his way. What, that call, what the scriptures call that is, is repentance. You turn from your way and you turn to live God's way. Confess your sin and, and just ask Jesus to come into your life, to take over and take charge, and he will do it. Everyone, Scripture says, who claims the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. For those who received Jesus, God gave them the right to become children of God. For those who believed in his name. Let's bow in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace to us in Christ Jesus we thank you, God, that we can rejoice in you at all times. We thank you for your word. It's truth for our lives. And Father, as your kids, we thank you for this word of encouragement, for this, this word of challenge to our hearts this morning. God, may we respond in obedience and faith this day and this week. And Father God, we ask that you would enable us to be ministers of your grace and peace to those you place around us. Father, we ask that if there are any who have yet to receive your gift of grace and forgiveness and salvation in Christ Jesus, and then, God, that they would do that even in these moments. Father God, I pray that they would just cry out to you even now and just simply admit their sin to you and admit that they have lived their way instead of your way, and that, God, they would just admit that they want to live your way now and that they would cry out and ask Jesus to come into their life take over and to take charge from this point forward, that God, they would confess their sin to you, they would confess their need for Jesus, their belief that Jesus is their Savior. He's alive today. He defeated sin and death on the cross, that he is the only way to a relationship with you. God, we thank you that you are the God who saves, that you are the God who calls us by the gospel of grace in Jesus to salvation. God, may we live out that grace today and this week. We thank you for Jesus. We celebrate and rejoice in Jesus today. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.